the pre-spawn is is pretty much what every smallmouth angler lives for at least in pennsylvania um because the big girls come and they just gorge themselves packing on weight for the spawn and it's some of the some of the it's the best time of the year to catch the biggest smallmouth of the year on the biggest fly of the year so it's it's pretty big deal now post spawn's a little different um obviously they're going to be gorging because they're starving but um you know those big five pound females that you caught are no longer five pounds because you know they don't have eggs in them anymore so you're catching like skinnier fish so it's a little different welcome to dead drifter society a fly fishing podcast to share information our adventures and our opinions we want to see where everyone is at in life and on the water we'll ask questions and get answers so we can learn everything there is to learn about fly fishing and now here's your host andrew barony on this episode of dead drifter society we sit down with ryan richelli he's a streamer junkie with a small mouth addiction lives in pennsylvania and works at the tackle shack in westboro pa welcome ryan richelli how's it going man it's going good man i uh it's been a slow, slow start to my my smallmouth season this spring with a win, winter not want to let go of this grasp. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely been an odd year. It's been super tough. Mm-hmm. And you guys, you guys get where are you located? I'm in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, right on. Actually, uh, I was talking to someone else out there, and I guess you guys just had. Uh, I saw for your season starting, eh? Yeah. It, it, well, uh, yes, it, it started off great. The water temperature started to bump up. Um, and then just recently we got another huge snowstorm. So we had another melt off and it just dropped water temperatures down like crazy. So it's pretty much right back to, you know, square one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, yeah, it's just been a weird year. I mean, even last year with the heat wave, did you guys have an incredible heat wave as well? Yeah, it was it was a pretty hot year last year, but we but we had consistent rain though, so the the water levels never really got low. So okay, are you uh, it wasn't a bad year? Are you fishing um, for the bass in the the rivers? I guess or yeah, I'm, I'm more of a river guy. I do I do mostly wading, um, so river river smallmouths where my heart's at um nothing nothing beats that in my personal opinion <laughs> yeah fair enough we don't even have any uh any bass in our river systems out here we got salmon and all that um what do you kind of do for the the setup there um i'm mostly running a, a seven weight fly rod nine foot seven weight um i i personally like an intermediate fly line it keeps you right in the middle column um instead of hanging up on the bottom all the time like like a sinking line or sink tips will do um and it's it's a pretty basic leader setup it's like three to three and a half foot fluorocarbon 12 12 to 15 pound test um and um you know streamer streamer i'm i'm a huge fan of uh uh game changers uh blaine chocolates game changers uh you know the fully fully shanked streamers that he makes mm-hmm. um i uh i'm obsessed with them at the moment 
Yeah, I've uh, definitely noticed on your Instagram you have quite talent with uh, tying flies. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. So uh, when did you get into fly fishing? Like, how did that all start? So it's been right around like seven years, I would say, since I, I've, I've really took it serious. Um, I started out, you know, dry fly fishing and, you know, trout fishing and then slowly stumbled into streamer fishing for big wild brown trout. And, uh, the first one I hooked into on a streamer, I just knew that this is what I, I'm supposed to do with my life. And then, you know, that, that started to, I started to lose the appeal to that, the small stream, big streamer stuff. And I ran into smallmouth, and it's, you know, completely snowballed from there. Yeah. And I guess, um, you know, when I imagine bass being in a river system, I would assume that they kind of prefer the the softer water and you know sitting right next to seams and all that kind of similar to brown trout is that correct or oh yeah yeah your 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 trout tactics that you use on a river or creek system are going to work just as well on smallmouth um they like to position themselves in the same spots um now i i won't pass up like any fast water or anything i've i've caught some really big smallmouth and some faster water that you think they should be sitting in. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, those streamers that you're usually tying, like how, how big are those? My, my most productive size is probably three and a half to four inches. Um, anything bigger than that. I get a lot of refusals at least, at least on the creeks that I fish, um, which most of the time they're super crystal clear. Um, so you, those fish have a ton of time to infect it before they eat it. So the more precise you can get with the size, the better you're going to have um, a better day. You're going to have. Yeah. Now using an intermediate line, would you be, um, weighting your flies or unweighted or both? Uh, I, guess? I, I, care, I carry a combination of both. I, I, I fish a lot of unweighted flies, um, because of the intermediate, um, line dragging it down but there are times when the water's up and i need a little bit of weight so i do incorporate tungsten beads in some you know and dumbbell eyes and some just just to have a combination of different weights and so whatever uh puzzle they throw at me i can try to figure it out <laughs> yeah so in doing streamer fishing um are you usually kind of positioning yourself kind of lower and then casting upwards and stripping down where would you be kind of trying to go parallel or above most of the time it's a a swing presentation um i really guess it all depends on what what the water type is if the water's you know up and average average level it's mostly a down and across presentation. So you're kind of like a swing, swing, a swing style and giving it subtle strips, kind of like you would fish with, with, for salmon, um, works really well with smallmouth. Um, now if I'm fishing the bottom, like crayfish style, um, it's going to be a little bit different presentation because, uh, I'm going to cast up. So my pattern gets down fast. And then I'm going to throw a few men's in. So it stays at the bottom. Oh, okay. And then do you do any kind of special, like three strips because crayfish usually move in those kind of yeah. three. Yeah. So the crayfish, it's, it's 
one, two quick strips and then a pause and sometimes a long pause and then, you know, a couple, couple more strips with sculpins and stuff like that. I, I tend to do a steady, a steady strip, small strip. Um, and that seems to work really well. Yeah. I'm just imagining it in my head because I definitely, you know, fish the lakes out here for bass at time to time. And, uh, yeah, it can be explosive. So I can only imagine, you know, doing salmon out here. Um, like you said, we like to do the swing and some strips and stuff like that. So those tight line grabs are, you know, to die for. (laughs) Oh yeah. And as soon as they rip back into the current, man, it's, uh, I can't even explain the feeling when you got a big fish digging down in the current and it's just it has an eight weight rod bent right in half it's it's one of the greatest feelings in the world yeah amen (laughs) to that and um what kind of got you into tying flies is it right off the bat or did it take a few years after you started i i I started tinkering in it um and wasn't very very good at it at all um so i kind of didn't get that passion for it and then it started to get to the point where I was I was paying so much for other people to tie my streamers. It was getting a little ridiculous. So I decided to start tying my own. They were hideous at first. And then I really got serious about it probably a year ago. And I feel personally my tying skills have, have advanced. I still I still think I tie like crap because I'm a I'm my biggest critic. But uh my my flies do work, so that that I guess that's a that's a point for me I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like it's always you know I was just uh, I just did a podcast a bit ago and we were talking about how you know every year, um, you know you look at your old flies and you're like oh man those won't work and then you like go to the tie a bunch more and yeah. but I don't know how much the fish really care but we sure do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still look at like patterns that most people look at in my box and they're like, man, this is perfect. And I can, I can point out three flaws to it every single time. I don't know. That's just, this just how I am. Yeah. And you said you like to fish the game changers mostly. Do you, is that kind of your favorite for tying as well? That's kind of your. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I strictly tie now um, because it, it's challenging um, and it really that that whole game changer platform is is amazing so much stuff you can do whatever you throw on the hook does a different action and there's just there's just so much that that platform that has yet to be discovered and i'm i'm excited to to be a part of it yeah yeah and they you know you put that much time into a into a fly and like you said you start to kind of get like critical about it and yeah Yep. figure out the right materials to use what's your kind of go-to um i guess materials that you like to use on a basic my, uh, i like feather game changers um they're they're my favorite you know the hen saddle and with the the prop behind it's mostly a streamer brush um and it's super simple to tie once you understand taper and how to properly tie those flies for super easy. Mm-hmm. And man, do they look good in the water? Yes, yes. That that's half the reason why I love streamer fishing is watching streamers swim. I know that sounds so stupid, but half of the time I'll enjoy an entire day just watching game changers strip, strip, and 
suspending the column. Like that, that's one of my favorite things to watch. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can agree with that. I, I definitely enjoy when you see them kind of like scrunch up and then go straight out again. Mm-hmm. And especially on a hard day of fishing, you're like, how could a fish not want that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, so you're mostly targeting smallmouth bass out there? That's yeah, your- that's that's my number one. Um, you pretty much have to twist my arm to to get me to trout fish anymore. Um, but so pretty much all I think about is smallmouth bass. What's the uh, average size for them out there? Average size over here, I'd say maybe 15, 16. Um, but every once in a while, you're going to run into a 17 plus. And on a small, small creek, a 17 inch fish, that's an old fish. And I'll, I'll take a 17 inch smallmouth any day of the week. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah, our bass out here don't get, uh, don't get too big, but every once in a while, like you said, you get into a good one and yep. they put up a good fight. We got a lot of our, the larger uh, bass we have out here are generally, you know, obviously the large mouth bass, but yep. Yep. the small, the small mouth, they fight just a little bit better. <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Do they I do would, a lot yeah. of aerials and all that? Like, do they jump a lot or? Oh, yeah. Not usually this time of the year because they're still a little lethargic from winter. But uh, so they usually dig you down super deep. But as soon as that water warms up, they they jump. And uh, I mean, that's half the reason why I love smallmouth is, you know, the whole fighting aspect of it is uh is pretty thrilling yeah and are you doing um dry flies for them at all or see even even though i'm known as the streamer junkie my favorite thing in the world is smallmouth on top with with uh foam bugs it's it's literally i wait all year for summertime low clear water for this to happen and uh last year unfortunately we had a lot of high water events so I didn't get a chance to do that much top water and it, it, it crushed my soul a little bit. So hopefully this year it's, it's a little different. Yeah. Amen to that. Definitely. I do like throwing large dry flies and having fish come up. It's, yeah. Uh, Cause you get to see the entire thing. You get to see the fish come up and look at it and then suck it in just like it's the real thing. And it's, it's, it's one of the coolest things. And I think that's what fishing's all about is moments just like that. Yeah, I can feel that. What uh, what's kind of your go to bugs for uh, top water? My my number one, and it's pretty hard for me not to 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 actually use an, another one is uh, the old Mister Wiggly bug. Um, it, it's a it's a piece of foam and it has a ton of rubber legs on it, so it it, it shines in low clear water situations where these where, where the smallmouth come up and actually look at it. And it's so buggy with those rubber legs, you just twitch it a little bit and those those legs dance everywhere. So you don't have to be splashing down line or, you know, moving your leader and spooking fish. Does it for you. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, that would be, you know, pretty standard dry fly fishing. Cast, do some men's, make sure you're I, getting a drag free. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, they're just as technical as trout. Um, I've 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 had plenty of them refused to eat because my drag it was dragging it just didn't look natural um 
educated smallmouth. Like it, my number one gripe with most people, at least fly fishermen, is they think bass are the easy species to catch. And I would like to challenge them to go out and try to catch them in low clear water situations. I'm talking like 18 inch smallmouth, educated ones, and try to get them to eat a bug um, in those situations. That is some of the hardest fishing ever. Yeah, crazy. It's, you know, same out here with um, low clear water. That's when, you know, you really get put to the test. Yeah. Uh, that's when your casting skills get put to, put to the test. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> What's, um, you know, we got some pretty big rivers out here, not the biggest. We're just on an island, so they, I know, medium size, let's say. But uh, what kind of bodies of water are you fishing out there? Are they like pretty wide or are you mostly like kind of smaller streams? No, they're, they're small streams. Like you would probably look at the, the creeks that I'm fishing and you're like, there's smallmouth in here. Yeah, they're, they're pretty, uh, they can get pretty skinny at times, but, uh, I, uh, I'm just fortunate enough to, to know which, which sections hold the best smallmouth. That's from doing homework though. <laughs> yeah. So how many, I guess you said you're fly fishing for about seven years. How many years have you been like just straight on the, the small mouth game and really focusing your time uh, and energy there? Two, two years of, of solid homework. Um, I'm talking like I kept a notebook of like every, every time I went out, I kept water temperature, what they were eating, what presentation, that kind of stuff. Like, I legit kept log books for two years to try to figure out a river system. And now this year I can consistently go over there and catch fish. Like that, that's how, when, when guys ask me how I consistently catch fish, it's because I put in so much time in these places. I put hours and hours, miles upon miles. And, uh, you know, I take notes and that's how you get consistent is putting in your homework and doing the time having those fishless days, not, and finally figuring it out. And, uh, I, I think that's, uh, that's what you need to do with the homework. Yeah. So let's say you're going to a new stream that you haven't fished. What would be your kind of first approach? I uh, probably, I, I would probably throw a swim fly, um, just to see if there's any players. Um, Cause usually even if I can't get a fish to commit to an eat, at least I know that it has potential that there's fish in there, that kind of thing. Um, and if that doesn't work, I would, I would try some bottom bouncing stuff because obviously bass, all bass eat crayfish. So <laughs> that's an easy, but, uh, most of the time, like, for example, last year, my buddy took me over to the, uh, the Shimong river which is a, a really good smallmouth river. And I'd never fished it before. So I threw on a swim fly and absolutely crushed it that day. Uh, caught a really good one. Um, so I think with swim, swim flies are good searching patterns if you're looking for players and not wanting to be so technical. Yeah. Do you find that uh, color for flies really matters? I, at least in my creeks, they do. Um, my creeks, they don't like them bright and flashy and in your face. 
Um, it's so it's more of a black olive, um, you know, yellow if the water's stained up a little bit. So they like those those natural looking colors. Yeah, I can feel that. And then uh, also some rubber legs, right? Oh, dude, I would throw <laughs> rubber legs on every section of every fly that you can never have too many rubber legs. Yeah, amen to that. What's their kind of behavior in a river? Is it pretty, like, is it similar to uh, to brown trout where they're, you know, kind of holding by themselves or do they kind of school up? Uh, it all depends. Um, at least at the creeks that I fish, they're super structure oriented. So any boulders or log jams or anything, I can almost guarantee you that there's fish sitting on them. Um, they, the fish in my river system are at least are, are weird. There's certain times of the year they're, they're positioned on this. And then, you know, later on in the season, they're positioned in a weird spot. Um, so I've yet to figure that out why they why they move like that, but one day I will. Yeah, who knows what's going on in their minds? But have you done much um, smallmouth fishing elsewhere besides from Pennsylvania? I've fished New York a few times, um, Lake Erie, where you know the smallmouth come up from the lake and to pre spawn or to spawn up into the the, the smaller feeder creeks. Um, I've caught some really, really big ones out there. <laughs> yeah. And were they pretty similar in behavior or was it a whole new ball game? It was a whole new ball game. Those, those fish did not want big streamers at all. Um, I basically had to throw on like a Helgramite pattern, like borderline nymph pattern, not going to mm-hmm. lie to you to get these fish to even look at my pattern. But I, I'm, you're talking like 18 inch plus four pound plus smallmouth coming out of this lake. So if I had to catch them on a, a hair's ear nymph, I'd do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, I've got one on a chronomid before, um, fishing for trout in a lake. And, uh, I thought that was pretty crazy, but I guess, you know, if it's a, if it's a meal, they're down. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. And I guess also maybe coming from a lake, they're just more used to kind of seeing bugs. Seeing more of that life. Yeah. Yeah. Because up up in those creeks, those feeder creeks, there's not a lot of bug life or anything in those, those, uh, creeks. Mm. It's weird. So I guess they're, they're used to seeing like minnow patterns. Um, you know, like you said, bugs. So they're not used to seeing, you know, seven inch, triple triple articulated dungeons flipping through there yeah (laughs) it's invasive at that point (laughs) exactly yeah and so you were saying that uh you mostly fish with um your intermediate line do you find that uh you know when it's really low water and clear do you have to just bring it up to a, a dry line yeah yeah that that's uh that's back up to a floating line with a longer leader um, intermediate's pretty much my only, I only go to that if the water's, you know, fishable and not low and clear, low and clear. The, the floating line always comes out. Yeah. What's your leader set up for that? Um, all depending on the water conditions. I, 
usually nine, your regular nine will do okay, but I like 10, 10 to 11 foot. Um, and I, I build my own leaders. So I, you know, they vary, vary so often, but most of us like with those, I, I like the longer leader in those situations because the less, the less my fly lines laying on the water towards that fish, I, I feel like the better it's going to that eat, eat my fly. So, um, man, I have no problem casting an 11 foot leader, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We go, I don't know, like we do, um, coho fishing out here and you get into pretty long leaders when you're going after those guys because they can be pretty spooky. Oh yeah. Some, some people will say they're not, but from my experience, you know, if you're not catching fish, just keep adding on tippet until, uh, they change their mind or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty much what I do. I keep downsizing. Yeah, exactly. Until it comes together, I guess. Yeah. And do you, do people even urine them for a small mouth or is it pretty much all just, um, kind of swinging flies and, and whatnot? It's, I haven't heard of anybody, at least locally doing the urine for small mouth. I know, I know a few people that do it on the bigger, bigger waters that aren't near me, uh, during the winter, um, and being successful doing it, but I have yet to, yet to try that. Yeah. I've, uh, I've tried Euro nymphing streamers with a heavier rod and it can be pretty deadly, but I just popped yeah. into my head. I was like, I wonder if people Euro nymph for small mouth. It, it would be, it would be good. Depending on the, the time of the year, you could probably do really well with that. Yeah. Yeah. And what's their uh, spawning season? Is it- usually, usually with a good spring, right, it starts right around, right around the beginning of May, and through the middle of May there will be a full spawn, and then you'll start to see you know post spawn fish uh, coming back on feed. So it tend to give them a little little rest when they're spawning, letting them do their thing and not bother them. Um, and that I usually come back and hit them pretty hard once they're post spawn. Yeah. And they get, um, obviously quite aggressive after they've spawned prior oh, to yeah. spawning. Do they, do they get heavy on the feet as well? Or do they kind of start to back off? No, pre-spawn is, is pretty much what every smallmouth angler lives for, at least in Pennsylvania. Um, because the big girls come and they just gorge themselves packing on weight for the spawn. And it's some of the, some of the, it's the best time of the year to catch the biggest smallmouth of the year on the biggest fly of the year. So it's, it's a pretty big deal. Now, post spawns a little different. Um, obviously they're going to be gorging because they're starving, but, um, you know, those big five pound females that you caught are no longer five pounds because, you know, they don't have eggs in them anymore. So you're catching like skinnier fish. So it's a little different. Yeah. Uh, it's so interesting how each species is just, you know, slightly different and yet somewhat similar. Yep. Yeah. Any other species you kind of target these days or is it really just smallmouth? I, I'm also secretly, well, I guess not secretly, but uh, obsessed with carp. Um, I love chasing carp on a fly rod and that's it's probably the most challenging form of fly fishing um next 
to, you know, flats fishing in salt water and stuff like that. Um, cause it can be so technical, light, light leaders, floating line and chasing a fish that can see you from a mile away can be, get pretty intense. Yeah. I feel that. And then when you're hooked up, man, they'll, they'll buckle an eight weight over like it's nothing. Yeah, they are quite aggressive when they get uh, hooked. I've yeah. only I've only got them. Well, I've gotten a couple on uh, on a fly rod, but mostly um, gear fishing with like yep. you know big balls of food and whatnot. But uh, and is that mostly in the uh, the rivers that you're doing that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's actually one river system that I fish around here where they coincide with each other. So. I'll go out there chasing smallmouth and see a pot of carp feeding and it instantly becomes carp fishing. <laughs> <laughs> That's sweet. And I can't, I can't pass them up. They won't. Will they take streamers or you have to downsize what you're, what I, you're throwing at them? Really, really downsize. I, I throw small crayfish patterns or small, you know, like jig woolly buggers. Um, they, I have had a, a couple eat game changer craws and stuff like that, but that was very, very rare. Um, th- that fish was eaten so aggressively. I, c- I could have probably threw my finger in there and caught him. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And I know like in lakes and, um, you know, when, when people are fishing for them, they're generally actually looking for feeding carp versus, you know, just a cruiser. Um, is that the same kind of thing in the river systems? Yeah. If, if you throw it at cruiser, you're, you're going to spook it and it's going to want nothing to do with it. Um, I, I, I just search for tailors. You'll see their backs and their tails out of the water and they'd be mudded, mudded up. Um, and almost nine times out of 10, if you got a fish heavily feeding like that, if your cast is on, on point, I can almost guarantee you're going to get that fish to eat. Yeah. That's sweet. And so but it said, all comes to that cast, though. You got to have a good first cast. They usually don't give you a second cast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those fish. That's funny. Um, oh, I just had a good question. I will come back to it. So, yeah, when you're <laughs> when you're fishing for them, you said that you have to dumb down the leader. So do you switch your um, intermediate out completely and just go dry line for these guys? For, for carp? Yeah. Uh, I never use intermediate for carp because that, that line splashes down a little bit and I've spooked so many fish trying to fish it. So I, I always carry a spare spool on me instead of a separate reel and just swap out the spools really quick and the leader's already on it and just tying to fly. I mean, I'm ready in like three minutes. Yeah, fair enough. Hey! Oh, I just had my son come in. Hey, buddy. You want to go find mommy? Yeah. Yeah, she's coming. It's all good. Catch me. <laughs> Catch me. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's tough around here to find quiet time. I know all about that, man. I have to put my own. So. Yeah, that's funny. How old are they? Uh, I have a 13-year-old daughter, so I'm dealing with, a, you know, the the teenage thing right now yeah. and I have an 11 year old son. So yeah. Yeah. I got a two year old and a nine year old. So nice. Yeah. I can keep you pretty busy. 
They do keep you very busy. Yes. It's, uh, what are you doing for work these days? Uh, so I work at the tackle shack in Wellsboro, PA. Um, it's, it's, you know, carries a great assortment of conventional and fly gear. Um, and I've been with him for about five years now. And we, uh, yeah, yeah. I, he, he stuck with me, like to be able to work at a fishing store, make decent money and enjoy what you do. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds like a pretty sweet gig. And I guess um, just pretty much a salesman at that point, or you're yeah, pretty pretty much. Um, I, I think it goes beyond that. Like with local knowledge, the reason why we do so well is people still want that that local knowledge and people that actually fish to sell you stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's so much easier to sell somebody a rod that I've used and abused and, you know, put through the ringer, um, myself than just trying to sell them something that I've never used before. Um, so I think that's a little bit what makes our shop a little bit different than other ones. Cause we actually fish. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, yeah, I feel you. I've definitely, I remember when I first got into fly fishing, going to Cabela's and trying to get it sorted out with, uh, with a fly rod and all that. And, the person yeah. had no idea. So luckily I didn't buy anything and I found a really sweet shop on the island here and uh, they sorted me out and I have not stopped going back to them. So I can, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. That, yeah. You can't beat that local knowledge, man. No, no. And it makes it really convenient when, like you said, you've actually utilized these rods and these lines and all that. So, I mean, that's huge. Yep. I don't know how many things I bought that I didn't need just because no one really told me or, or, you know, the person that was selling the rod didn't really say anything. They just sold it. Yep. Yep. And that's, uh, that's unfortunately part of the business though. He, uh, selling, selling is key. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's, uh, what's the vice you like to use these days? I, I've, tie on a regal vice uh plain plain simple i did buy the shank jaws though to help me out with the game changer shanks because the other one that i was i was using the shanks would just fly out of it so i just recently invested into the shank jaws and truly impressed with them it's affordable you know what i mean and it works so I don't need a $1,800 vice setup to, to tie flies to lose at the bottom of the Creek. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Let's see. Uh, what's the rods you like to use brand wise. I'm a big TFO nut. Um, been working with TFO for about two years now. And so I strictly just use TFO rods and my probably my two favorite rods that they make are the Axiom 2X and the LK Legacy. The LK Legacy has probably been my favorite rod for the past two years. That thing, that thing can launch heavy line, but it also has sensitivity, if that makes sense. Like, I, I can still feel, when I'm bouncing the bottom, I can still feel it, but I can still haul some heavy full sink line if I need to. Yeah. 
No, I mean, that's really important. Uh, do I guess the small mouth sometimes they do like kind of light bites as well, right? Oh, that's I was out today and I uh, I knew it was going to be a tough day today because we got a, like a second wave of winter and all the snow melted into the creek. So it dropped that water temperature right back down to 40 degrees. So I knew it was going to be tough before I even left the house. And I get there and it's super, super clear. And I'm, I have, I had to dredge them, dredge them today. Um, but I did end up picking up one, one fish today. Um, it was a super, super tough bite because I felt him come. I was using a game changer that had a front hook, no stinger hook. So I felt, I felt him grab the back end of it and like spit it back out. So I just let it sit there and he came in and sucked it again. And I just, I strip set twice just to make sure the hook was in there. <laughs> but the end of the, the soft bites and I missed two other fish because of that exact reason. I, I felt them eat the back end of my fly. And you ask why, why I don't use a stinger hook very often. <laughs> was that going to be your question? That was actually my next question. <laughs> I, uh, the reason why I do that is because most of the time when smallmouth, you know, the, 50, the water's 50 degrees or more, they're going to come eat your fly. They're going to suck it in. Uh, they eat a little bit different than a brown trout. Brown trout, a lot of times will come up to a streamer pattern, sideswipe it, and then they'll come back through the current and then pick it back up. So they kind of like try to try to stun their prey and then eat it. Bass just suck the whole thing in. So I used to fish a lot of patterns with two hooks and you would get, you would get that stinger hook in their gill every single time. Um, and I'm not into killing, killing fish. Um, the last time it happened, it was a good 17 inch smallmouth that had the stinger in his gills. He bled a little bit. Uh, he swam away. I'm not saying he survived or he didn't survive but a big part of me thinks he died. And from then on, I won't, I won't fish to two hook patterns, at least game changer style uh, because they're longer uh, with two hooks ever again. Yeah. Now, after you were starting talking about that, I could just imagine how the, the bass like opens up their mouth and really like inhales the whole thing. Um, Especially jig patterns, you know, like stuff on the bottom, like crayfish patterns. That's just that's how they, they eat it um with with bait fish patterns it's a little different like you can get away with two hooks because most of the time they come up and eat it head first anyway so you have the front hook in the side of their mouth with with jig patterns nine times out of ten they're coming up and they're sucking the entire thing in before that thing could go back under the rock so no stinger <laughs> yeah that makes sense and like you said i'm kind of the same boat i don't really care for uh for killing fish these days I'd rather watch them swim off same here man like that that's that's the best part of the entire experience isn't it like finding them and hunting them is fun when you find them you catch them you net them that's a great feeling but afterwards when you're holding it in your hand and you see it go back that is one of the best feelings to experience in fishing. Yeah. The release is, yeah. Like you said, you know, even with salmon, like even when there's retention, um, 
you know, I almost let all my fish go. And sometimes people will be like, why didn't you keep that? And I'm like, Oh, forgot. But like deep down inside, I'm like, well, I didn't want to, you know, he already gave me the pleasure of the encounter. Yeah. That's, so, that's all I needed. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I know you guys have, uh, well, I believe you guys have like brookies, um, yep. browns, rainbows, small mouth, large mouth, uh, carp. Is there any other species that you target? Um, I have targeted musky in the past. Um, and with no success at all. Um, I, I'm a person that likes to catch fish and I feel like signing up for musky on the fly is already, you're already saying, you know what? I'm cool with not catching fish except for like three times a year. So I don't know. I don't know if I, I can make that kind of commitment just yet. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Would that be in, um, lakes then? Uh, we do have a lake around here that, uh, has tiger, tiger muskie and purebred muskie in it. Um, but we also have a couple river systems that have, you know, smaller muskies in it. Um, you know, like your 30, 30 to 40 inch range. And they do coincide. A couple of them do coincide with smallmouth water too. So I have a legit chance of hooking into one. I've just, I've never, I've never had the chance chance yet. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I don't know. I find myself, um, fishing a lot for rainbows, even though I want Browns, but I have a couple of buddies who catch a lot of Browns and I'm always kind of paying attention. I'm like, well, I can see that we're fishing different water, but I think deep down inside, I'm like, Ooh, give me another fish. Give me another fish, you know? Yep. yep. So yeah, that's fair enough. You said you were uh, guiding for a little bit and kind of decided to leave that alone. Was it uh, all smallmouth that you were doing? I it was it was for uh, trout, small stream streamer fishing for trout, which is which is something I grew up uh, fishing these small tiny streams for big wild brown trout, and kind of kind of perfected the the streamer part of it, and I wanted to show that to different people let them experience you know a 24 inch trout in a stream that you could basically hop across if you wanted to um that that was my original intention when when i wanted to guide was to guide for trout during the winter and some of the spring and then use that money for my bass addiction (laughs) (laughs) during the other half of spring and summer (laughs) yeah i feel that how long did you do the guiding for? Just a couple of years or? I just did a couple mock trips with some friends and then I took one person out and that's when I decided uh, it was just not for me. Yeah, fair enough. Were you already working at the um, fly slash gear shop? Yes. Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty sweet though. Yeah. You know, like you said earlier, it's not everyone's you know, built for it or necessarily wants, but I can definitely, you know, I've, I've thought about it myself and the idea of not fishing sometimes evades me or yeah. makes and me th- think that's twice the about other, it. That's the other part of the reason is like all that extra time would be into guiding other people and me not fishing. And when, when somebody wrecks like a 20 inch smallmouth and I didn't catch it, like that's going to crush my soul. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Have you? What's the biggest smallmouth you've got today? The biggest one I've ever caught is 21 inches, and that was uh, that was with my buddy Jake from Relentless Fly Fishing. Um, it was it was crazy. It was on my birthday, and I was like, "Man, we're gonna catch a 21 today for my birthday, right?" And this was maybe two hours into the trip. We caught a, a huge one. And he was like, man, this is your 21. Puts it on the bump board right there on 21. And I, I didn't believe it at first. So I was like, you're pinching the tail or something. But that, that, uh, that's pretty much a unicorn in my parts. 21 is pretty much where it tops off. Yeah. Well, and that's a big, large, or a small mouth for sure. How many pounds would that be? Probably. Well, we, we guesstimated, you know, four, four and a half. She wasn't, you know, like a five pounder. Yeah, no, that's still a beautiful fish. And how was the fight? It was, it was intense. (laughs) It was intense. I can't even describe it. Like, you know, when you have a big fish on your line, like your, your rods just buckled over, you know, that, like that, that fear you get in the look in your eye. Like, that's what I had in that moment when you realized Cause usually fat smallmouth, like you'll have the, the smaller smallmouth jump like two or three feet out of the air, like big, big fat smallmouth just come out and like do a half porpoise, a porpoise jump. Cause they're so fat. They can't jump. <laughs> yeah. So once it did that and I understood what it was, man, there was my hands started shaking. I'm not going to lie. Oh man. <laughs> I know that exact feeling. Yeah. I was just like, don't pop off. Don't you pop off. <laughs> yeah yeah i actually um i got into a good brown uh, i guess over the weekend and um they've been evading me this season i caught some before winter and it was all good and then pretty much the whole winter every time i got a brown trout on it would pop off so i finally had one on and um i reached for my net it fell my buddy runs over he has his net out he grabs my net out and he's like kind of joking around he's like oh i got two nets and in my head i was like not now man not the time (laughs) it was a very serious moment in my in my uh or for me and yeah sure enough everything just worked out perfectly the fish came in and he netted it but i was yeah i was shaking when i realized because i was watching this brown trout just go back and forth in the um the current it was kind of in a back yeti and i was watching him feed for like I don't know, 20, 30 minutes and tried everything I possibly could. And finally he took a nymph and, uh, yeah. So, and I didn't think it was a very big fish. And then all of a sudden it was, you know, 18 inches or so. And so I was extremely happy. That's, that's how it always is. You never think it's a huge fish at first. And then you're like, Oh, that's a big fish. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, uh, cool when everything comes together though like that like it makes it makes everything like that all that bullshit you went through and everything else and that that moment right there everything came together yeah exactly at least least once it's in the net i should say (laughs) prior to the net was and he netted it from behind so like my heart was just racing um every time i tried to turn its head it just went the opposite way it just wasn't cooperating in that sense it stayed close which was nice because there's lots of boulders and all that 
But yeah, it took a while. I saw him come at my flies a few times, a couple of dry flies he like almost went for and just turned away last second. But like I said, it was in that back yeti, so it was very um very tough to fish. I was Yeah. Probably yeah. hard to get a get a good drift over there. Oh yeah. The nothing was working out, you know, I'd throw a dry fly on and I'd watch the dry fly just get like ripped around and you know, eventually I got him on the, the Euro setup um, because it was the only thing I kind of used it as my last resort. But, hey, it worked out, you know. That's right. That's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And so you're saying that TFO was kind of your favorite rods to use. Do you have any specific lines that you really like, like the intermediate or any kind of um, bodies my, that you like? My favorite uh intermediate line to use is a Cortland's compact intermediate um series um it's super super durable line and what i like about it is it has a clear clear tip on it which uh i think helps out my the pressured waters that i fish i just you know it might not help me out but i feel like it helps me out and i think confidence is half the game anyway yeah that was actually um you know, I don't always ask it, but that's that's one of the questions is, you know, what kind of gives you confidence on the water? Because I know that's a big thing for me, but it's it's a huge thing for me. Um, if if I leave the house and I'm not confident that I'm going to catch fish that day, I I can almost guarantee you I'm not catching fish that day. But if I I'm confident in the, you know, the game changer I just tied um, the line, the leader setup I have um you know water temperature and all that kind of stuff i can you know i'm I'm pretty confident and i i think confidence you know transfers over to your performance and you fish better you fish smarter yeah no and i yeah exactly like you said you know even if i'm swinging a fly that i don't have confidence in, i don't give it the time of day yeah. Even if it yeah. would work perfectly, you know, and that's exactly what the fish wanted, but I just didn't know. And yeah, confidence is key. Yeah, I've, I've been out with people and we're fishing the same exact streamer and fishing the same exact areas, same drifts, everything. And I'm catching more fish than they are and or vice versa. And that's that's why I'm I uh, I believe I believe that confidence thing. Yeah. Yeah, any little little thing that you can possibly do to get the confidence up. It gives you like it almost gives you more energy and more steam to just be like persistent even yeah. if it, if you're not catching fish, you're just like, okay, I'm going to keep going and keep going. I know this whole setup is is groovy and will work. Exactly. Yeah. Do you ever do kind of like casting across stream and just stripping back at you pretty quick, or is that usually not what they want? Yeah, it, it all depends. Uh, like if, if the fish are being super aggressive, you know, the fast strip works works really great. But I, I kind to I kind of uh, keep my presentation based on what I'm trying to imitate. If that makes any sense, uh, like if I'm fishing like stone cat or sculpin patterns. I know that you're never going to see them in, in the middle of the column. So I'm going to want a weighted pattern and bounce it, you know, in between rocks and stuff like that. Now, if I'm fishing a minnow pattern, um, I want that to be mid column. Um, 
so I'm going to weight that. So I, I fish it. Uh, it stays in the mid column. So I guess it all depends. Yeah. And so you obviously put in a lot of time for yourself, um, both with, like you said, taking uh, notes, which everyone listening, that's a hot tip. Definitely take notes. I do the same. Um, it's just cool, too, to just look back um, on certain days, too, and just be like, oh, yeah, that happened. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it automatically brings back that fish memory. You're like, ah, that's why. that I remember that fish. And it really helps out when when you uh you get stumped on something and you can't figure out why you're not getting any bites when you, when you feel like you're consistently doing what you're supposed to i've gone back on my notes and was like oh okay that's that's why that happened and uh it, it's a good tool to have it, it it's a little bit nerdy but i'm a fish nerd so i'm yeah. okay with that <laughs> to that um and yeah so like i was saying you know you're obviously taking notes and doing like your due diligence on the whole thing did you have any kind of like mentors or anything like that or were you just completely self-taught i uh his name is carl gebhardt he's a pretty well-known tire around here um he kind of sparked that that fly fishing bug in me and I owe him because I almost quit when I first started because casting was giving me a big problem. And he took me aside and was like, you know, this, this, learn your bugs, do this. And it all came together and it made sense to me. So he, he definitely sparked that fire for me. And he also did it for, for fly tying for me because he gave me a ton of materials. Um, cause if I had to start from scratch, I would have, you know, blown a several thousand dollars. And, uh, he just gave me a bunch of materials and advice to get started. So without him, I don't think I'd be where I am now. Yeah. Well, shout out to him. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. I have a buddy who, you know, I was fly fishing. I was really determined. Um, I was doing like a lot of self-taught stuff, which, you know, at the same time as, as good as that is, I definitely learned a lot of terrible habits and, you know, took almost longer to break those. Yeah. But yeah. Having someone you can bounce ideas off of or, or ask questions once and you then, figure out the right ones to ask. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a really, really good, uh, streamer tire, you know, in the next town over. Um, I don't know. Do you know, streamer King flies, Dominic Petruzzi? He, uh, he's a pretty big, He's a pretty big musky, musky tire. Um, I think I follow him he, on my other account on he, Instagram. Uh, he's taught me a lot um, on the water and off the water stuff. Um, so definitely a shout out to him because he uh, he's helped me a lot. And like to get me to scrutinize stuff, like there's anglers and then there's fishermen. And I think what separates them is the fishermen just go out there and fish and hope that catch fish the angler tries to dissect everything and he's like why am i catching the fish it, it kind of situation and that dominic sparked that in me to be more technical about stuff and figure stuff out kind of kind of like a musky fisherman's aspect to bass because you know how musky anglers are just like moon phase all that all that type of stuff and they're super successful with it and there's a reason why they're nitpicky 
because you got to be. <laughs> yeah, man. What's the, um, we'll wrap this up soon here because I know I'm keeping you up a little late, but what's the, uh, you know, I know for myself and probably pretty similar, um, you know, days that I'm not catching fish. Are there any main questions that run through your head or is it usually just like, okay, obviously they're not liking the, the drift or this or that. Yeah. It's it, it most, I don't think it comes down to your fly pattern a lot. It, it, it's a lot of times your presentation is just not doing it for them. Like, for example, I, I'll tell you last year I was fishing a section. Um, I was fishing one side of the river that usually produces, and I didn't catch one fish through that section. I, I sat on the bank and I was trying to figure it out. I was like, why did they not? Why is this happening? So I decided to, to switch on the other side and hit the structure from a different angle. I crushed fish after fish after fish on the same structure I just hit on the opposite side. It's because those those bass didn't want that presented on that other side. They wanted it presented to them at a certain angle. And uh, I, j- I think we rushed through a lot of spots that we're fishing because we think we want you fish through it there's no fish there kind of situation um i think if you sit there and die dissect certain sections and actually effectively fish certain squadrons of it um you'll be more of an effective angler and you'll pick you'll catch more fish yeah that's really valuable definitely i've you know seen it many of times where just like you said you you don't think there's any fish there and then you either try something new or you try a different fly pattern and or like you said, you change angles. Um, and that's actually what I did for that brown trout over the weekend was I uh, I moved further upstream. Yeah, upstream and just kind of got a better drift from where I was standing there versus where I was. And yeah. And that's all it takes is something like the slightest adjustment of your position could change your day from a no fish day to a fishy day. Yeah. I like that, man. That's awesome. It's always cool to, you know, talk to other people. And even though you might know a lot of these things or have thought it or have heard it actually, you know, talking about it and bringing it up, it really does, you know, set it more in stone in your mind and yeah. it becomes, cause I remember, like you said, uh, with the fishermen versus, um, an angler, you know, I definitely used to go to the lake and, you know, fish power bait for trout, go the whole day with no fish. We, or, we all started out that way, man. So yeah. no, no shame. <laughs> yeah. And then you'd like wait there for, you know, I don't know, four or five hours or even longer on a dock with no bites or, or one bite randomly here or there. Yeah. And, Sitting in the same exact spot. Yeah, not thinking anything about it, just like oh, the fish, you know, they aren't here or whatever. Yep. But it's like not bite today. Yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely think back on those times, and I'm like, man, you know, at that point, it became more like a community thing. Like eventually, you'd start seeing the same guys, and so you'd have like you know conversations while you're out there, and yeah, drink a lot of coffee or or whatever. But yeah. No, it's, uh, it's always interesting to, to think back on that. And it's like, now, you know, I always assume there's fish. I just haven't cracked the code. Yep. There's always fish in there. Yeah. 
Yeah. And um, one last question. I, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but you were saying that um, smallmouth will sometimes school up in the uh, the rivers. Oh, in the river systems. Yeah. Um, like like right now, what I'm seeing is because um, our our spawn happens a little later than a lot of a lot of other other areas, um, and I, I'm starting to see the the big females coming up into holding water like deeper holding water and they're stacking up in there like once you find one i can almost guarantee you there's a bunch around her um so they tend to how how my river system gets is we have a decent spring with water flow like that and then you'll start to see it get lower and lower so these fish go and find the deepest part of the river um you know, to live for the summer. And that's pretty much where they live that entire summer kind of situation. So, um, and they, they have to travel pretty, pretty far in between those deep spots. Hmm. And then it's, uh, once they spawn, it's the females that leave and the males that stay yep. with the, the young, right? And then, yep. You'll see the, you'll see the males guarding the beds. Um, protecting it pretty pretty fiercely against crayfish and stuff like that. Oh um, yeah, I know a lot of guys that do the the bed fishing thing, but it's uh, I love smallmouth so much. I don't want to interfere with anything that has to do with the next generation because I yeah. want to continue continually catch these fish until the day I die. So I don't want to mess up that that process at all. Yeah. Plus, I'd be pretty upset if somebody came in and you know threw a hook in my mouth while I was doing my thing too. So yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I can feel that man. Yeah. It's, um, you know, you see the respect with fly fishing a lot where, you know, people maybe came from gear or they, or they didn't, but you know, they're more focused on just getting meat and then mm-hmm. as they really start to develop their skills and hone in on, you know, becoming an angler versus a fisherman, let's say, um that respect grows so much that you're like yeah i don't want to i think i think it comes down to like you start to admire the fish and respect it um and especially when it comes to like fish like old growth fish like a 20 inch smallmouth that's like a 12 to 13 year old fish and all the crap that i had to go through to get that big um to to end up on a stringer um just hurt hurt breaks my heart but i'm definitely not one of those people you know shame on people for keeping fish or anything like that because you know it's your god-given right i guess yeah yeah i I mean uh, if you are eating the fish and it's you know not an endangered species then within reason yeah i I feel that you know yeah 100 percent. i always you know i i know that if ever you know money got tight or something and food was needed it's i got a way of getting it so yeah that makes at me least, happy at least we know we can catch fish right yeah exactly <laughs> that, that the whole world ended and i was alive i could catch fish i swear <laughs> my yeah. girlfriend and my kids would probably get pretty sick of uh fish every day but at least distant <laughs> yeah no exactly Right on, Ryan. Well, yeah, thanks so much for joining me. Sorry for keeping you up a little longer, but uh, I'm glad it worked out. 
Me too. I'm glad we finally lined up and got the chat, man. Yeah, man, this was, uh, I was definitely stoked on, on talking to you about all the, the small mouth fishing that you do and all that. And your flies, once again, I think your flies are beautiful. So I know you're your harshest critic, but, uh, you're doing good. I mean, it means, it means more, more than you could ever know, man. I appreciate that. Right on, man. Well, yeah, you have yourself a good night and, uh, I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Thank you. All right. Cheers. And there you have it, a real streamer junkie, Ryan Richelli. If you want to follow his adventures, check him out on Instagram at streamerjunkie17. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If there's anyone else you'd like to hear on the podcast, send me a message on Instagram at Dead Drifter Society, and I'll see what I can do. Thank you for listening to Dead Drifter Society. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with the show and get to know Andrew on Instagram at Dead Drifter Society. Until next time.